Hi, here's Florian, and I'm today here with Carl. How you doing? So, Carl, probably introduce yourself. Like, tell, tell us something about yourself. So, uh, my name is Carl Alamar. I'm Chief Operating Officer of DigitalOcean, uh, based in New York. Um, I've been a serial entrepreneur for about 20 years, uh, and uh, this is where I have landed to date. Uh, we've built a pretty, pretty good company here, and most people will know who we are, and I'm um, very excited to be here and talk to you about my experiences and you know, maybe some of the things that we've learned along the way. Awesome, yeah. Um, I, I met Carl at a presentation he, he held in Berlin on the family meetup, and um, I will definitely link this presentation under this uh, podcast, so you should definitely watch it. It was about like how to grow um, a startup and like how to handle hierarchies and culture. So. To, to let, let's make an example. Let's say we, we want to build a startup and we come up with a new currency, a cryptocurrency, where you can uh, buy uh, trees out of a forest, which is especially good for Christmas. So we have a really small funding to founding team of like five people. How you would set up the structure? Like how you would set up the structure that you could work together? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I think in the early days, it's always very, very difficult because you never have enough resources to do all the things you need to do. Um, I think the general idea would be really to set it up as a, what I would refer to as an ad hoc team. So if you've got about five people, you probably clearly define who has what, which skill sets, where the real capabilities are, and focus on putting together the team in a way where everybody has a core area of, of attention. But what's important is that everybody is helping each other. So you don't silo. It's a very collaborative environment. Um, you know, you have a single point of lead, but at the end of the day, the team are all fighting the battles together, making the decisions together, uh, being very transparent about everything that's happening across the different aspects of, uh, of your effort. Um, with five people, you have to do that. You can't, you know, you can't really think about you know, isolation or team build out at that point. You're really just thinking about getting yourself to an MVP, minimal viable product, proving that your business has legs, and then from there thinking about what's the next stage of growth and how do I actually accelerate So the perfect setup would be probably to put all together in one room all yes. the time? Yes, definitely. That's, and my experiences historically, um, it's always been one person working out of the closet because uh, that's the only space in the room, and then everybody else kind of squeezed around one or two tables. But I've done that a couple of times, and I've been in the closet myself one of, one of those times. And so um, it, it's very, it's definitely very makeshift in those early days. I think luckily uh, with a little bit more resources today than I had 20 years ago, um, wouldn't have to do that. But, uh, but, you know, when you're young and you're hungry and you're trying to make things happen, um, you know, the luxuries of life are not really what you're paying attention to. It's just more about getting the work done and, and staying very tight-knit and close with the team that you're working with. And you would probably still set goals, right? Like for every like person which has like a certain skill set, they would still have goals they would need to reach in each week? To a degree. Day. To a degree. I, I think you would have more of a team goal. Uh, I don't think it would be as individualized because that actually creates isolation. So I, I think what you would do is you would say, hey, you know, this is what we want to achieve. We want to achieve MVP. Here are the things that need to happen for us to do that. We need to develop the right product. We need to make sure we can go to market with it. We need to make sure there's validation from the market that it is correct and we're getting traction. All right, so how do we do that? What are all the things we need to do? And then, yes, we'll have key people that are experts in different pieces of that, 
but everybody will work together to make each one of those things happen. And I think the way you have to think about it, if you're starting up, I mean, I guess, I guess there's two ways to think about it. One way to think about it is, am I going to bootstrap this business? Am I trying to create revenue that's going to actually support the business in real time and, and grow organically? Or am I going to try and accelerate growth through some funding? Um, in both cases, you're trying to get over a sudden hump. So if you're trying to bootstrap, then what you're saying is, listen, this is my burn rate. This is what I think it's going to cost me to run this business. In order to get there, I have to sell um, it's many Christmas trees. So uh, you set your focus, set your target very clearly on what your monthly sale needs to be in order to cover your costs. And that is your first target. You fight every tooth and nail to get make that happen. Yeah. If you're going out to actually get uh, external funding, then your, your metrics may be slightly different. It may not be about revenue. It may be just about adoption. It may be just about validation of your, of your MVP, validation of the size of your market. And so if you define the things that you need in order to achieve that next step, that becomes your hurdle. You get the whole team rallied around that. And in achieving that, you'll unlock a lot of opportunities for growth and expansion of the team and, and stuff like that thereafter. So let's probably, like for the document structure, it would be probably most effective to just do one Google Drive and then like do some folders in there and then collect the stuff you need there. So that's all in one place. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different collaborative tools you can use. Google Drive is definitely one. Um, some people will use Basecamp to, to organize themselves. Some people will use Trello. Um, I think when you start getting into the JIRAs and, and confluences of the world, you're talking about a much more complex environment. So in the early days, you'll probably use a relatively simplified set of tools. Um, also, from a, if you're actually going to market, if you're actually trying to drive revenue or sales, you may use some kind of a CRM tool. Yeah. Whether it's a sales force, which again could be complicated, or um, some, there are a lot of uh, much simpler versions of of the Salesforce type tool that just give you an ability to just manage, um, you know, the the basics of what you're doing. I think it's actually important at this stage not to overdo yourself with process mm. and tooling. Um, you are close enough with your team that everything is relatively shared, whether it's on Google Drive or you've got a Box account or whatever it is. You kind of got everything centralized. People are working off the same documents. So at this stage, the level of operational organization is not that important. What's really important is alignment and, and uh, clarity on what you want to achieve. And then all these different little tools are just a matter of personal preference. It becomes more important as you grow because then you lose that direct relationship and that direct control with everybody on the team. Yeah. And in that regard, you need much more fluid tools to allow for communication and sharing of, of uh, thought and information and stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. So let's say our uh, we can like generate an MVP and like show that we found a market fit. So the market makes a big demand on our product. So because people want to buy Christmas trees with our cryptocurrency. So that would be the perfect fit. And then we would probably need to think about hiring. I think probably the best way is to hire like always on with demand like that you see you need the people you can't handle the work yeah. anymore so how you yeah. would, how you would go over the hiring in this stage yeah well i mean the first thing you got to do is you got to understand what resources you have so again there's these two avenues you've taken if you've either taken a bootstrapping avenue or you've taken a funding avenue i'm going to focus probably more on the funding side i'll say something about bootstrapping but i think as you grow 
um, you need to think about the funding component to actually, uh, to actually scale as quickly as, as this conversation might speak to. But if you are bootstrapping, then I think the key thing you're going to think about is revenue leads growth. So I have to focus on building my revenue generating teams um, before I can actually start supplementing that with all of the support and all that other functionality that I need to make sure my customers are happy. So is my revenue uh, team a product team? Is, is revenue driven through organic, you know, self-serve products and features? Or is my revenue driven through salespeople? Yeah. And so trying to understand what it is that's actually creating revenue for you in your business and focusing your investments there first yeah. and making sure you have the means to actually continue to grow. Now, the luxury you have if you go for external funding is you're able to think a little bit more holistically. Now, no first round of funding is ever going to give you all the resources you need to be successful. Yeah. But you still have to make sure that you're very wise about how you use your resources. And you still have to have a balance of, am I investing in product? Am I investing in customer satisfaction? Things like that, I'm thinking, am I investing in sales? What are the things that are actually going to drive my business? And I would say, even as we have to do the same thing in terms of figuring out what is your hurdle, what is the next stage you want to reach in your business, and what are the investments you need to make to get there. So if you've got an early stage of funding, now maybe you're thinking, hey, I want to move towards a Series A, something more meaningful, something that's allowed me to grow. So what are the what are the, the metrics that I have to hit to get there? And again, for every business is different. If you're selling Christmas trees, then it may be on the unit of number of trees you're selling. Or maybe it's on the engagement with the app because you know that when Easter comes, you're gonna start selling Easter eggs on the same technology. So um, you have to figure out what it is that's driving your business, what it is that's telling your story, and then begin resourcing in that area. Um, with external funding, you have a little bit more luxury in that you can resource ahead of revenue. So you can be more predictive about where your revenue is going to come, and you can actually make judgment calls like, hey, if I provide good service, I'm going to retain more of my customers. Yeah. So as a result, I'm going to invest one or two people in my support organization because that's going to make my customers happier. And when Easter comes, I know I'm going to sell more eggs. You don't necessarily have as much of a luxury on that if you're, if you're bootstrapping. Yeah. You have to really think in more real time. Yeah. So... so um, you know, another part of it is what are the sacrifices you're willing to make? If, if I only have, you know, a million euros to work with or 500,000 euros to work with, I have to sacrifice some things um, in order to make the right investments that work. So being very, very clear with your founding team, what are the sacrifices we're willing to make in this stage of the business in order to get to, you know, uh, the Series A or, or the next stage of investment? And... Um, and again, you got to compare impact. You got to really look at everything as it lines up to the hurdle and the target you're trying to get to. There are some things that people might be very, very passionate about, but if they don't get you to the hurdle you need to reach, you have to make the difficult decision to say, "We'll take care. Of, we'll start focusing on this once we have more funding." Yeah. But we just don't have the luxury of doing that now. So it's it's a very calibrated and measured approach towards the investments you're making, the things you're focusing on and how you're really building this business stage by stage to get to ultimately where you want to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. So you always set fast like what you need to survive and then uh, make sure that yeah, the resources go in and that, that's yeah. the main point yeah. you're working on. Yeah. yeah, so if you grow the team from five to 20 people, let's say, because now you have funding, you're also beginning to think about operations and tooling. Not very much, 
I think your founding team will still be very cross-functional, be still be very connected. You guys or girls might still be in a room and have all your team around you. It may be a little bit of a, you know, a little bit different to that, but it's still going to be a very tight circle of people uh, that you're working with. So um, you do need some level of tooling. This is where now communication tools like Slack become valuable. Um, starting to use environments, or you could probably still use Google Drive, but even thinking about Confluence for a lot of your data repository and, um, you know, your engineering team may start using a, a, they may work with Trello or they may start using a slightly more complex system um, like Pivotal Tracker or, or Jira or something like that to manage, it, to, to manage their pro projects. But the idea is as a founding team, you're having a little bit more information is coming to you electronically rather than everything being face-to-face -face and verbal. Uh, very, very early in that, though. So you don't, again, don't weigh yourself down with process at this stage. It is um, going to slow you down in a big way if you think too much about process when you're only 20 people in the organization. Yeah, okay, good. So ideally it would be like that, like you live the culture you want to present with your teammates right away in the room. So, and communicate it as yes. well through your task and focuses you set there. You say, okay, we make sure that like the revenue comes in, so we are revenue driven or we are customer yeah. happiness driven. Um, so when, when would be the first point and if you grow on and grow on when the one, all people in one room would make problems or can you keep this all the time in the growth process? No, I think, um, I think at this early stage, it's still reasonable to kind of have everyone tied together. Uh, I think when you only have 20 people in your organization, you, you pretty much have teams of one or two people. Yeah. You know, and you, maybe you'll have an engineering team of four people or five people. That might be your largest team um, or a sales team of three or four people. But in general, you, you like these are handful, tiny teams. And so you don't have the problem of big organizations that are moving in one direction and doing their own thing. You really have a pretty well calibrated, um, you know, if you all work well together, pretty well calibrated leadership team through your original founders. Um, I think keeping the founders close makes sense, whether it's all in one room or just in an open plan office or, you know, in a way that you can kind of communicate in real time. Um, I think that real time communication is hugely valuable at that stage because everybody is working together to get to the right answer. Um, and that's, you know, if you're fluid and you're able to do that, if you're working well as a team, then that's why you don't need as much process or as many tools. Uh, it's when you start actually creating full operational functions of the business with larger teams that are working autonomously, which is later down the road, that you start really needing to improve process and operations. So there is this turning point where um, the lack of process begins to slow you down, and that's where process becomes important. But at this stage, the lack of process probably won't slow you down. It'll probably actually accelerate you. Uh, and the introduction of process, it's too early for that at that point. But I do think that everyone is still incredibly close. A 20-person team is still like a family. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a fully-fledged organization yet. So let's say we grow really fast to uh, 100 people because the demand is so huge. And um, I think you said in your presentation 100, 150 is then the another turning point, right? 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's different for different companies. Um, the, you know, in general, yes, that's the right point. I mean, there are companies like Instagram that got to a billion valuation with 11 people, <laughs> but that's very, very unique. That doesn't happen very often. Um, but uh, generally, yes, once you've gotten your next round of funding, now you can afford to invest more in your teams and you're beginning to build full teams out, you're going to be at 100, 150 people. You're going to have a certain number of full teams. You're going to have a certain amount of leadership. Um, at this point, you're probably hiring leaders. It's not purely the founders. And even at this point, some of the founders may actually not be the right people for the role any longer. Um, you know, founders have very specific capability. They're very good at working, you know, in real time across multiple issues and kind of being creative. And as soon as you start having to create a structure and organization and teams under them, some thrive and some don't. Some are just less comfortable in that type of environment. And that's fine. You know, different people are built for different things. And so you have to, at that point, start thinking about where are the key roles in this business where if I had some experience, some expertise alongside this team, we're going to be able to do things significantly better. Instead of making mistakes and discovering, we can go in and with actual ex experience and say, okay, we've tried this, done this before. This is how we approach this problem. And I think um, at 100, 150 people, you're going to want to have, you know, a couple of those people beginning to mix into, into the group. You're going to start creating um, some level of separation between functions. So engineering is start, it's not going to be everyone's job anymore. It's going to start becoming a certain department. Marketing will start becoming its own department. You have to make sure that collaboration exists between them all, but ultimately you're now creating functions within the business. And because of that separation, that's where the actual process of introducing tools, introducing procedures becomes valuable. Again, not too much. Um, you know, you want to minimize procedures as much as you can until you really absolutely need them. But at this stage, you have to have some level of process, some format of communication, you know, some format of onboarding people and training and getting everybody aligned around the objectives of the business um, to make sure that you continue to be productive. It is very, very common where companies have grown from 20 to 100, 150 people, where you're not prepared for it, you haven't built a construct where you don't have the right leaders for it, and it becomes pretty messy and people get pretty unhappy from a cultural standpoint. And so I've experienced that myself, and, and it kind of teaches you some of the things that you got to think about as you start getting to those sizes. So if you're starting to divide departments and bring experienced people in like to, to avoid some mistakes and to lead the departments, how you make sure they communicate really well to each other? Because I think that's an, one big challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, at 100, 150 people, everyone's not sitting at the same table anymore, right? So they're all separated and spread around the, around the company. Um, Uh, you know, having a leadership construct that allows you to actually make sure that the key influences in the business are all aligned and moving down the same direction and everyone's up to speed on what's happening is a very va valuable function, very valuable tool to have. Um, and then you, you know, you implement, um, you know, you, you have Slack for communications, you have Confluence for uh, data or Google Drive or whatever it is, you start creating um, environments where a lot of the knowledge base is collected, the decisions and initiatives and programs are kind of tracked. And by doing that, that keeps 
all the key people at the top kind of in sync and in in line with each other in terms of what's actually happening with the business. Um, the important thing. This is a different muscle you have to exercise than the muscle you were exercising when it was only 20 people. Because now you actually have to make a conscious effort to communicate with people. It's not natural. You don't just have everyone sitting around a table talking all day. You actually have to go find people. You have to go connect with people. You have to make a point of ensuring other people. So that becomes a little bit more delicate and you can use a combination of tools and a regular cadence of meetings to make sure that that happens. Some people um, start to introduce um, tools created by Google, objectives and key results that allow you to construct for how the company is going to work, what are the key objectives everybody's focused on, and then what are the measures that you're using to measure against those, and then the initiatives in the business to actually execute against those objectives. Um, so, so Uh, what I have found is generally as you grow to this size, you end up finding a lot of redundant um, activities and initiatives happening that are not really helping the business just because independent people are passionate about them and feel like they want to go off and work on other things. So, you know, it is, again, a learning process to really understand what's happening in the business and to corral everybody around the same set of objectives and the same set of initiatives make sure everyone's focused the right way. That's really interesting. So um, if you if you like to have changes, um, if you really grow in a, in a company, how you introduce the changes or the transitions? Uh, what is your, your thoughts about that? It's not easy. Change is a very, very difficult thing. Change management is very, very difficult. We've had to do it a couple of times in DigitalOcean where we've taken real transitions in size. Um, I guess the first rule of change is do it quickly. Okay. Don't let change linger. Um, change generally creates noise and creates discomfort for people. But if you do it quickly and decisively and you present as a good leader, people will follow you, people will get over it and will move on and continue down the road. So if um, you're going from a flat organization to a hierarchy, you do it in one shot. Okay, here's the new construct. Here's how we're going to execute against it. Be very decisive about it. Be very open. You know, you have to be able to talk to people. You have to deal with people's discomfort around change. But if you're communicative and open and you're very specific and decisive about what you want to achieve, you will generally find what I've found is that people will um, follow and if, if you have good in a better place, and people will realize that relatively quickly. But, uh, but change isn't easy. Um, you will lose people in change too. I mean, some people just can't, you know, they work very well in one way and when you change that, you, you have to consider, you know, if they're comfortable or able to work in the other way. And um, you have to be ready for that. I think what's important is, you know, put the success of the business first and understand what it is that this business needs to be successful and then the change that has to happen to facilitate that you have to do and if there are people that are not comfortable with us, those people are not set up for the next stage of the business and in a young startup environment and at least what we've always done is everybody gets equity everybody has an upside everyone is part of the team so if somebody you know completes their segment of contribution they still walk away as 
an owner of, of equity in the business as a shareholder and you know they're still motivated to see the success of the business so um, this doesn't have to be a negative experience for people to say hey I, I've, you know, I've contributed what I can, and it's, it's time for me to move on to the, you know, to my next project. Um, so that's something you have to be willing to accept and understand. Another thing about change is make sure that you, your leadership team is 100% aligned and supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, when you try to make a change and you haven't effectively communicated and aligned your leadership team, I've often seen real problems and disputes within the organization because certain leaders are disowning the change. Yeah. And, you know, that's not, I'm not, I don't think that's a good idea. If all your leaders are aligned with you and supportive of the change, then the organization will follow very smoothly. Yeah. So step in you know, in terms of stages, make sure that they, it's very well organized, it's very well planned out. Make sure that your leadership team is 100% supportive and behind it and then make the change quickly and, and execute and move on and focus back on the business as quickly as you can. Yeah, awesome. Um, I, have, I have another question because like in, before you do the transition to like the bigger, bigger structures, um, alignment is like really important. How do you make sure that like the alignment works really well, even if, you, if you're sitting in one room, like how you make sure that the alignment is there? It's all about communication. Um, it's, uh, you know, what I've always done is I've tried to, um, document the alignment okay. and, you know, create a very clear messaging that speaks to exactly how we're thinking a lot of repetition, a lot of discussion, you know, if you, if you're, you know, the clearer you can be and the more direct you can be, the more people will align with you. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, you also have to be very open for feedback. Yeah. So you have to make, and this is not easy for a leader because, you know, leaders are intimidating. So how do you make your team and then the company as a whole feel comfortable that they can bring feedback back to you? Is there ways you can do that? We created what we call an AMA, which is every two weeks we have a meeting with the whole company. It stands for Ask Me Anything. And we create a bulletin board where people can put up either named or anonymous questions or comments that we would respond to and react to you know, in real time during the meeting. And so trying to create environments where people feel like they have an outlet and they can talk opens up your understanding of whether people are truly aligned or whether you're just seeing roses when actually there's a problem ahead of you. So um, communication, openness for feedback, And, uh, you know, the ability to, to really document and repeat and, and regularly um, keep people up to speed on exactly where you're headed and what you're focused on. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. And uh, the last point is, like, if you have a big structure, um, how do you think about, like, um, independency of the, of the people? Because, like, if you have a big structure, there are more processes. So are you trying to still uh, motivate them to, to do own decisions, to, do, to be more entrepreneurial? Or do you say, I'm thinking more on processes? Well, actually, what's really interesting is um, as you, there's this kind of transition you go through, right? So you go through this component where everybody is working completely as one unit, and then you expand that out, and now suddenly, 
you're creating groups, but you need to still control those groups because everything is new and you're trying to make sure that everything is really moving in the right direction. As you start bringing on more senior people and as those groups grow and grow, you can't scale by maintaining control of everything under you. So you have to actually start creating autonomy. So you have to allow your leaders to begin moving without your um, involvement and trust that they're doing it the right way and moving in the right direction. So what ends up happening is you end up centralizing a lot of your communications with the top tier of people in the organization. You'll have your access points to people across the organization that are kind of your feed points of feeling the ground and understanding what's happening. But you have to be able to trust and give full autonomy to the key leaders you're hiring that have the experience that perhaps you don't even have. And you have to make sure that as long as each of your lieutenants is headed towards the same end goal and you can see the metrics moving in that direction, you allow them the freedom to execute in the manner that they need to execute. Um, you know, a great leader is going to be involved in problem solving, going to be involved in brainstorming, going to be really kind of working well with their lieutenants, but also allowing their lieutenants to really drive and not getting in the way and not bullying them and not pushing them in directions which make them uncomfortable. Um, and it's a balancing act because you want, to, you want to give them that autonomy, but you also want to make sure that they're focused on the right things. And so you have to balance how much you're directing them and pushing them and steering them versus how much you're allowing them to really drive the trip by themselves. If you have the right leaders in the, the right people on the bus, the right leaders in the seats, uh, and they are all focused on the right direction, then that's a recipe for success. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So um, how does a daily, a, a normal day of you, of, of you look like? Like what do you do on a normal day? I, I just sit back, put my feet up, and drink uh, hot tea. <laughs> now, my, my days are crazy. Um, it is, uh, it's interesting. I get pulled in multiple directions all the time. I think uh, one of the things that has been really uh, helpful for me in, in terms of being able to do this job is, is I'm a natural multitasker. I'm naturally good at jumping from one context to another, and that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. So. I'm generally, um, my day's full of strategic discussions and meetings with leaders and uh, key teams or key specific activities around the business. Um, I work very closely with Ben, our CEO. You know, we figure out the strategy and what exactly we're trying to execute. And then it's a matter of essentially partnering with different leaders across the business and ensuring that they are consistently moving in the right direction. So. A significant proportion of my day is spent sitting and strategizing and meeting and uh, with different leaders around the organization. Um, and then whatever time I do have to, to breathe and to actually do real work is, um, you know, going into very specific kind of big strategic projects and processes and, and making sure that we're, you know, documented the right way and that we're delivering the right message and moving in the right direction as a business. And that's kind of more of the kind of heads down at my computer, um, making sure that we're continuing to build out our plans and trajectory the right way. I'm also very, very heavily in the weeds on, on data. So I, work, I have a data team that works directly for me and I work very, very closely with them on making sure we truly understand everything that's happening in the business. And then when necessary, initiating uh, projects or activities to improve efficiencies or improve performance as necessary across different parts of the business. 
So it's a pretty busy day. I mean, I, I really don't have a break from the minute I walk in to the minute I leave. I think even outside of the meetings and the activities I'm driving, I have a huge pull for my time from different parts of the organization where people just want to have either input or they want to have their voices heard or they want to, um, you know, just, you know, be mentored to some degree or, or whatever it is that, that people are looking for from me. They're, you know, they're looking up every moment of time that I have to try and get that. It's actually really important for me to be very conscious of the time I do have because it's very easy to just accept every request yeah. and get stunk right away and not actually get any meaningful work done. So, um, so I have to be very judicious about how we set up a day, how we set up a calendar, who I'm meeting with, what, what we're working on. Um, and then I guess there's a final component, which is this external component, which is all of the key relationships we have externally, the key vendor relationships, the key partnership relationships, um, you know, key banking and investor relationships, like all of these different pieces are key components to, to what I do as well, just in terms of representing the company and, and a lot of the communications we have external. So it's a combination of, of all of those things. And then once in a blue moon, I get an opportunity to do this, which is always really fun. Thank you a lot, as you took the time. So how do you think then about work-life balance, especially if you have so many, so many stress? So how, how is your approach there? Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, my work-life balance has changed significantly since I had a baby about a year ago. Okay. So now I have this um, this commitment that I need to be home to put the baby to bed every night. Yeah. So uh, what I actually find is what I, what's changed is before I would stay here and kind of not leave the office till my desk was clean, my emails were clean, and I would actually end up working very, very long hours. Now what I do is I, I finish my physical day, I get home, uh, I get, you know, um, connected into my family, and then I work from home for an hour or two at night just to clear the rest of my desk, you know, just before I go to bed. But the important thing is, I guess, the evolution of communication, like the ability to really work anywhere, gives me a huge amount more breathing room. And what I've actually also found is as a result of the great leadership team we've built, I have the ability to step away much more and just allow things to run. Um, and it gives me a lot more breathing room to take time for myself. So I've made a point of, of uh, spending, you know, the early evenings with my family. I've made a point of spending weekends with my family. And, you you know, I, I'm now at a point where I have the luxury of having a pretty good work-life balance. I will say that when you're starting a business, it's not always that luxurious. You, you sometimes have to really stretch yourself to make it work. But if you can get to a stage of, of maturity as a business, then it really pays it pays off well because you end up in a really good place where you have a great team around you. You know you can rely on people. You, you the, A lot of the stress is lifted off of you because you have so many reliable uh, lieutenants and you're able to balance out, you know, how do I live my life and enjoy my life as well as, you know, commit to my work. Awesome. So, um, how do you lead yourself? Because, like, if you are like the CEO, or like the or the boss of an organization, nobody tells you what you need to do. So you are your well, Ben does. Uh, <laughs> okay. <our> CEO does. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it is it's a matter of being self-started to some degree. I think what it is is we set our own goals. You know, we sit and we figure out what is it that we need to achieve as a company, what makes us most impactful within this business. And then, you know, sit down and as a leadership team, as an executive team, 
decide, okay, these are things we need to do. You know, Ben, you own this, Paul, you own this, you know, Steve, our CFO, you own that. And, we, you know, we split out the key responsibilities across the different executives. And, and then we go out and we execute against that. So I think we, we, set a, we set goals within the business as an executive team, and then we take those on our shoulders and, and drive forward to them. And I think the exciting part is we're always seeing that next stage of growth, that stage of acceleration ahead of us. And so being able to fight towards that means there's always this, uh, you know, pot, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we're chasing after, and, and it makes it exciting, you know, to go from stage to stage of the business to kind of evolve. Okay, so it's, it's also driven by motivation a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. A lot of that comes from inside. Awesome. A lot of that is, is you know, it's uh, the ability to kind of self-motivate, which I think most founders and most entrepreneurs have. Otherwise, you know, why would you do what yeah. you do? <laughs> that's, that's definitely a good point. So yeah. what, is, what is your best, uh, biggest challenge today you're facing in your business? Um, I think, um, so we've been really lucky. We have a really uh, solid growing business. Um, I think the biggest challenge today really comes from external expectations and it's even these internal expectations that we we should be growing, we should be continuing to grow faster year over year. What we've done is we built a business that has an incredibly consistent rate of growth every year. But the biggest challenge is figuring out how do we change those metrics? How do we change that trajectory to actually inflect and move upwards? And so um, that's what we think about every day. What are the things that drive the decision makers? What are the things that, you know, what is the, the thought process that people go through when they come to use our products and how do they use our products? And what can we change in that whole formula to increase the rate of, of growth of our business? And um, we approach it in a very scientific way with maybe a somewhat artistic way as well. And then test things and, and try and get to a point of understanding what it will take you know, have faith in the things of understanding what it will take to actually make that difference and make that growth. Um, and then we go after it, you know, and we've set ourselves up for 2018. We have a pretty good feel of what we need to do. And we're going to market and trying to get that done, building initiatives that we think are going to get us there. And that's, that's how we move ahead. Okay, awesome. So what are your favorite books? Which books you would recommend? Oh, um... There's a there's a handful. Um, Good to Great is a is a great book. Um, I'm trying to think of um, getting the names right off the top of my head. I know I've got a couple of them. Let me just see if I can find them. There's a book by Ben Horowitz, um, and I'm forgetting the name off the top of my yeah, head. It's um, a really great book about the, 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 the story. hard thing about hard things. The... Yes, the hard thing about hard things. I also actually really enjoyed the Elon Musk book about his life yeah. and uh, everything that, that he kind of went through and learned. I think there's there's two different types of books. There's the books which are very specific, um, you know, specifically talk about the things you can do to uh, improve, you know, um, management style or business, things like that. And then there are the life stories and the experience stories. I find the experience stories really, really interesting because, you know, I can, you know, you can relate to a lot of things that people are doing and kind of reference them back to 
oh yeah, I experienced that and this is how this person handled it. Um, the, the other books are very theoretical and they give you frameworks and they give you structure. That's always very helpful, but it's very, you gotta really personalize it. So yeah, so Good to Great is, is a good book. The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, let's see. Um, there's the uh, Work Rules is good. Um, strategy Rules. There's this uh, great book. Uh, it's, it's Five Timeless Lessons from Bill Gates, Andy Grove, and Steve Jobs, oh, okay. which is a really, really, uh, really great book. Um, strategy rules, that's called. Um, How to Influence People and Make Friends yeah. is a classic, <laughs> which is a really entertaining book to read. So there's a, there's a handful of good ones, I think. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm actually going to probably um, publish in a blog uh, my recommended book list. Um, and I'm happy to share that with you and kind of give you a link to that. Would be awesome. Um, but books, books are a great asset. One thing I will say is um, finding mentors and actually speaking with people directly uh, and learning from people directly is, I think, the greatest way to grow and learn. Yeah. I think books come in close second, but nothing really beats experience and direct communication um, because you're really able to personalize your learnings from, from those situations. So how, how do you attract uh, mentors? Um, probably ask them if you don't have the money. If you have the money, probably try you to know hire what? them. No, no, don't do either. Um, you would be very surprised how much people are willing to help. Okay. Um, I forget who it was who said it. I think it might have been Steve Jobs or someone, but people are always, um, people who have had success and have uh, you know, gotten to a later stage in their life are always inspired by young, um, ambitious talent. And all you have to do is ask. Okay. So if you find somebody you have a lot of respect for, all you have to do is go, I think actually it might have been Mark Cuban said this, go find those people and just say to them, I you know, I'd love to have some of your time, I'd love to talk to you, I'd love, you know, looking for a mentor. If you're if they're impressed by your capabilities, your ambition, your potential, more often than not you'd be surprised how much they're willing to help you. And so I don't think it's a matter of paying people, I don't think it's a matter of hiring people, I think it's actually just a matter of networking and going out there and introducing yourself to people and, and kind of getting people to believe in you um, and, and support your potential. And I've had a few in my life that have been phenomenal and they gave me so many learnings. And I think most of the best leaders out there have in their time had mentors that have really, really helped guide their thinking and, and evolve the, the way they, they work. Awesome, awesome advice. So my last question would be like, if you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self advice, what you would say to your 20-year-old self? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know where I'd start. I would, um, I think uh, the most important thing I would say is surround yourself with great people. Find, you know, essentially find the right people to partner with, the right people, right talent to hire, like put good people around you and that will make you that much more successful. Um, the, the, the biggest burdens I've had in my life has been around people that were not great people okay. and the biggest uh, growth and benefits I've had in my life is where I've been around people that are great people. So be judicious and surround yourself with great people. Cool. Awesome. 
So do you want to say something for the end? Um, this, I think this is great. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to, to come and chat. I have done this three times, uh, the whole kind of build up a business and get it to a point of growth and sales. And so definitely I'm a lot better at it now than I was the first time I did it, but I'm consistently inspired by people who are trying to break new ground and, and discover the world in, in with new eyes and new tools and new functions. I, I really, I would really uh, support, you know, your audience and their ambition and say the sky is the limit don't ever limit yourself don't ever think that uh you know you are unable to achieve certain targets like go into the world with an open mind and go try and break down barriers because uh the future is made of the audience that are listening to these types of podcasts and, and building the technologies of the future wow thank you very much thank you very much for the for the time you took and thank you very much for the the awesome information so great thank you for your time i appreciate it enjoy your christmas tree and uh i look forward to to uh watching this back thank you thank you very much